the third win against the top ten, and the Orange had them all away. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into my heart. Three for the win battle. Bang! Boom! As the Orange do it again, the cardiac juice comes through on the road one more time. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Monday edition of Orange Nation. We are brought to you in part by Duntire. 315-437-7644 is the number if you'd like to get involved. Jam-packed show for you today. Uh, going to talk a lot of SU football. Going to talk a lot of SU basketball. Jim Beheim's bunch uh, back in action tonight for preseason game number two. Uh, Dino Babers set to address the media at 1.30 coming off another heartbreaking loss on the road. Syracuse comes up just short down in Tallahassee 27-24. We will be joined by the Hall of Famer Floyd little at the top of our number one but we lead off the show today with a very special guest he joined the espn family in 2010 he serves as a studio host for the network's college football and basketball coverage you also know him from baseball tonight adnan verk is our guest on the show and uh, before we get into sports adnan i, I do want to bring up the fact that you will be in town uh one week from tonight seven o'clock lemoyne college uh for a uh, a, a keynote speech that you're going to deliver on a very important topic, something that's very timely in sports. Uh, we're talking social justice, protests, and activism in sports. So before we get into talking some football, bring us up to date on on why you're coming into town and what the message will be next uh, next Monday night. Yeah, Steve, Seth, thanks so much for having me on, fellas. It'll be nice to uh, make the drive up. Good four hours to Syracuse, and the weather's been so nice for all of us that uh, I'm getting in before the snow gets to us, so that's the good news. But uh, as you mentioned, it's a very timely topic everyone's been talking about. The intersection of politics and sports, and certainly uh, it seems to have all kind of bubbled up when Colin Kaepernick decided to sit down and then take a knee. And um, I think it's a topic a lot of people have a lot of interest in, and, and particularly for ESPN and, you know, what responsibility do you have as somebody who's a public figure? Should you weigh into social issues? Uh, should you just be quiet and do your job and not enter that foray? It's um, like you said, I think it's something that a lot of people have different opinions on. I encourage people to come check it out. I like to make things interactive. Uh, which is a nice way of saying I'm very lazy and I'm poor at <laughs> planning and making notes. So I think I'm just going to kind of freestyle for 10 or 15 minutes and then let people have at it. So uh, whatever people want to ask me, whatever conversation the uh, the night will go, I look forward to it. Because, you know, college students are always the best because they are, are the most idealistic, I find, and the most honest, which is a good combination. Like, they, they are optimistic. They have not been... Uh, there's no hard-bitten cynicism, but they're also blunt and let you know what they think. So I can't wait to get back to Lemoyne. It's going to be awesome. All right. Well, we're uh, excited you're making the trip up here again, 7 to 8 o'clock uh, next Monday night at Lemoyne. There's going to be a reception afterwards in the uh, Corcoran Lounge that's on the second floor of the Campus Center. We have a lot we want to get to with you, so let's jump right into football, and, and let's begin with the local team here. Uh, Syracuse, another close call over the weekend, 27-24 on the road. They've played some good teams close, just can't quite get over the hump. The Orange now 4 five on the season curious to get your take on this team and this program do you think it's a bold team this year do you think they're still a year or two away and and what do you think about dino babers and the job he's doing well i think dino's obviously done a fantastic job and um you know for any coach that comes into a situation where there has not been a, a tremendous amount of winning recently you look for that signature win and of course they had that in that game against clemson i mean people are still talking about that at ESPN because there's so many Syracuse grads there and obviously the broadcasting school is so 
uh, famous for good reason. So there's so many alums who are like, listen, that's it. Dino, Dino has his moment. You always see search for a signature moment that you can prove your program is building. And, and I think that, sure, some of the Clemson fans will point out the fact that Kelly Bryant, their starting quarterback, had a gimpy ankle coming in, and then he was obviously injured and uh, couldn't play in the second half. But that doesn't take away from the fact it was a, an inspired performance by Syracuse and something they should be really proud of. And I think as far as the program overall, um, you know, maybe a bowl game, I would think maybe about a year away. But, um, you know, Jesse Palmer was saying to me, of course, one of the great analysts that I work with, that, you know, Dungey to Ishmael is, is as good a combination right now as you have in college football in terms of quarterbacks and receivers. And I think sometimes for, for schools where – like Syracuse, which is known for basketball, not football, that you need to have some sort of electricity and have some sort of mojo going. And, and generally, offense is going to sell the sizzle a little more than defense. So I give Dino credit. No matter what, if I turn on a Syracuse football game, I'm going to know Dungey and Ishmael are definitely going to provide some entertainment. And, I mean, that game against uh, Florida State obviously hung in there for a while. Cam Akers obviously was unbelievable for the Seminoles and um, much the chagrin of uh, the team. But, but honestly, I think Dino's got the team on the right track. They look good to me. Yeah, you know, and, and I think it's interesting, you know, of course we're talking about the Clemson game, but even even there you mentioned that Jesse Palmer said something about Dungey to Ishmael. Uh, it, it feels like the Syracuse team finally has some kind of identity in the college football world, uh, and that doesn't seem like something that's happened in the past maybe five, ten years. Uh, how, how important is that just to take that next step to, like, people know something about this team other than, oh, they play in the Dome? 100%. It's awesome. It's just have something. Like, it's you know, college football is so different than, than the other sports. I mean, I guess it has similarities with college basketball, but it's it, it's kind of like you know the conference, you know the coach, you know the style of play, and you go from there. So obviously in, in the case of the Orange in basketball, you're like, all right, Jim Beheim, the zone, ACC, got it. And then you go from there and try to find signature moments and obviously come out and in the national championship and all the rest of it. So with, with college football, I think same thing. For, for Dino Babers, you go, okay, listen, this guy has won at a, at a different level. Now he's trying to prove he can compete with big-time programs. It's all about recruiting. It takes about two or three years for those recruits to start to blossom. You know, generally you talk to any coach and they'll always say, well, by year three, I start to feel pretty good because those are the guys that I've recruited who are now either at the school or, you know, started as freshmen or now juniors or, or maybe, maybe even sophomores. So, yeah, I think, uh, listen, the whole thing, if you're a Syracuse football fan, you want to say, are we trending in the right direction? Yes, we're trending upwards. Does that mean we're a contender right now? No, but... We're going to hover around 500 if we can get to six or seven wins and you get to a bowl game, and, um, you know, that that's the direction you want to be going in. ESPN's Adnan Verk joining us here on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. And, and Adnan, I hope you can uh, settle a debate for us uh, in regards to the college football playoff. So last week I said that the teams that controlled their own destiny outside of the top four were Miami, and I said that uh, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. Clear, clearly had their their control they control their own destiny, which means obviously if they win out, they're in regardless of what else happens. To which Seth was upset about Wisconsin, saying that he didn't think that if Wisconsin ran the table, that necessarily meant that they were in if the top four kept winning. So I want to throw that to you: which teams outside the top four truly right now control their own destiny? Yeah, I'm sorry, Steve. I got to go with Seth on this one. Right. I would have been with you like a week ago because I yeah, bad week for the Big Ten, right? <laughs> exactly. I would have thought if literally if you'd asked me four days ago, I said, "Well, hang on a second. You know, Wisconsin can't um, they can't change their schedule now. Like you just play the teams you win, and obviously the Big Ten West is a bad division. Although, again, Jesse and Joey Galloway and I were arguing about that because Jesse pointed out, well, you can schedule you know a stronger non-conference schedule, although obviously it's too late now, but. 
But the point is that you can't just say, well, it's not Wisconsin's fault. They have a bad schedule. No, no, you can like look at Notre Dame. Their schedule is ridiculous. Like, it's so tough. Like, they schedule the big games, and they're not afraid of that. So, anyways, the point is, if Wisconsin, the regular season schedule was uninspired, as long as they beat an Ohio State or a Penn State in that Big Ten championship game, then I would have thought they'd get in. But as you alluded to, the fact that the Buckeyes just got waxed in that game against Iowa, I mean, I'm, I'm still amazed and how bad their defense looked and the fact that the Hawkeyes put up 55 points on them. Like, it's stunning. Um, so the fact that now the Buckeyes have two losses and then Penn State obviously back-to-back losses. So that's, you know, Michigan State obviously spoiled the party there on Penn State. And and even Penn State was looking dire to try to make the playoff after that loss to Ohio State anyway. So, yeah, honestly, I feel bad for the Badgers. But if you go all the way, you're going to beat a, a two-loss uh, team in the East, whether it's Michigan State, Ohio State, or Penn State at this point. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be enough because of Notre Dame. Like, if you pencil it in, if I say, okay, Bama obviously is going to be in. Um, the ACC team, maybe Miami. You're right. If Miami runs the table, then I do think they'd get it because they'd have to beat Clemson in the ACC title game, and that's probably their biggest competition right now. So let's suppose one of Clemson or Miami there's no Pac-12 team in the top 12 right now. Like UW is their best bet, but that's you know Washington is far from a certainty. And I think Oklahoma's charging hard now. Like after that win over Bedlam and Baker Mayfield's 598 yards and five touchdowns. So for me, I, right now I just go Bama, Oklahoma, the ACC champion, whether it's Miami or Clemson, and I think Notre Dame. Like I think the Irish look great right now. Um, so the only way that I think Wisconsin gets in is if Notre Dame gets tripped up by the Hurricanes. That would be the best bet for them. Or, of course, if Notre Dame loses Stanford. But um, they definitely need a little bit of help right now. But listen, that's not to say, listen, Notre Dame could lose. And if Georgia runs the table and loses a close game to Bama, there could always be two SEC teams that make the playoff, which to me is crazy because this is actually a down year for the SEC. And then all of a sudden they could get both the Tide and the Bulldogs in, which is nuts. I'm always looking for reinforcement, so so thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, I, I do want to shift gears to baseball a, a little bit because we're what four days removed now from the world, the end of the World Series, and uh, I, I think off back to back World Series that have both been great, both gotten seven games. It, it feels like baseball's in a really good spot uh, right now. How do they kind of seize this momentum? I, I'm a baseball fan. I, I just look at it as. These two World Series give you a great chance to grow this game. No question, Seth. And I think that you get a lot of fans um, who, are, who are feeling that sense of joy that you feel as well. Um, I agree with you. I think games two and games five, like you put them in a capsule and you give that to any sports fan and you say, how is this not awesome? Like it's riveting. I mean, game five even started to feel a bit like um, – almost like arena football, like it was just a bit of a pinball with all those home runs. But but listen, there's no doubt the fact that you never knew who the heck was going to win, like the, the, the amount of unpredictability in that game made it riveting to watch. Um, that's awesome. And you're right, those are the moments that can create baseball fans. Like uh, my earliest baseball memories, I'm 39 now, and I've loved baseball ever since I was eight years old. I remember the 86 World Series, and, and it gets through Buckner and the Mets win. And, and, you know, I'm not a Mets fan or a Red Sox fan, but obviously those are the memories that I think of um, that make you fall in love with the game. And I completely agree with you. I think if you're a young fan and you watched it, then those are the memories you can remember. Now, of course, <laughs> the counter to that is how many kids get to stay up and watch a five-hour game on a, on a Sunday night. I mean, I did post-game on baseball, put it on ESPN2, and our show was from 1.45 to 3 a.m., 
And listen, I got three kids and my eldest is nine and I let him watch a couple innings of the World Series, but I certainly am not going to let him stay up till one in the morning <laughs> watching this game. So I, I do have that fear now, especially as a dad, but I wonder, you know, how many kids are actually able to watch these games. My idea is the easiest one ever. People have said it for years is on the weekend, put a game at four o'clock in the afternoon. So at least kids can watch a couple of afternoon World Series games as it once was. And I would move up the start time. I would move it up to, I have pregame at seven and first pitch at seven. 37, and that way, if it's a three-and-a-half-hour game, and you're done by 11. At least that gives you a chance uh, for younger fans. You know, the first couple of games of the World Series were actually at 8.05 or 8.08 first pitch. Then they moved it to 8.20, and I thought, that's ridiculous. Why is Fox doing this? Like, try to go as early as possible. So I do think that if you are a baseball fan, this cements the reason you love it. And maybe if you're a casual fan, you say, I'm definitely not going to miss the playoffs. Uh, but certainly pace of play and the duration of the game are, are still challenges that Rob Manfred has to overcome, and I think he knows that as well as anybody. Yeah, my son's 11, and uh, he watched a few innings. I had trouble staying up for this, some of those games. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, I, work, I worked till midnight I, on I a regular basis. With game seven, right? Because we've been yeah. watching so much baseball, and it's been so great, but you know what it's like when you get the one night where you go, okay, I think this one's in the books, we can go to bed. It was 5-1 on the 5th, and then I said, well, listen, I'm not going to have any baseball for six months, so I'll just suffer through it. But yeah, game seven, one of those moments I said, I can just go to bed at 9. Okay. <laughs> uh, one more baseball question. Uh, we talk a lot of Yankees on the show here. Uh, obviously, Joe Girardi not asked back by Brian Cashman and the team. Did that surprise you? And what's their next move, do you think, at the managerial position? It did surprise me. You know, I heard the whispers a little bit after, obviously, Joe made that terrible call there in the Indian series that came to where he should have challenged it, didn't challenge it, the Apollonia uh, Chisinau foul tip. And, and I, my point at the time was that, listen, if you want to fire him, that's fine. But don't, don't use one play as a microcosm for Girardi's supposed ineptness. Like the last time I checked, he's a guy who's won a manager of the year twice. I think he's a great manager. He's won a World Series. Um, and he's overachieved the last two years of the Yankees. I mean, anybody who's an avid Yankees fan or baseball fan knows going into the season, they were not supposed to be going to seven games in the ALCS. They were thought to be uh, probably on the outside of a wild card spot. We'll see what happens. And instead, they go 91 wins and comfortably win that second wild card spot. We're battling for the division with the Red Sox all the way. And, of course, played so great in the playoffs. And now Aaron Judge has emerged as a stud. He's got 52 home runs in his you know first full season. He's coming to ESPN tomorrow. I can't wait to meet him and ask him about the season. Like, they They've got real buzz not only with Judge but with Gary Sanchez and the way that um, you know the young rotation really put it together and the fact that Tanaka didn't opt out like he wants to stay he wants to stay three more years through the Yankees and build so I think in the case of Girardi it's this it clearly was Brian Cashman's decision he's the one who went to Halfheimer and said I want to change um, the knock on Joe and I work with Marcus Scherer who obviously knows Girardi very well having played for him is that he's a micromanager and he goes by the numbers a little bit too much sometimes he always has his books always has his stats maybe a little bit condescending with the media. Media, um, maybe a bit of a know-it-all, but you know what? I, if I had this resume, I would feel like a know-it-all too. Like I'd feel pretty smart as well. So I'm, I was a little bit surprised, and I don't know if it's the right decision because what they've done here, guys, is this: it's not like um, remember the Cubs they fired Renteria and then brought in Joe Madden. It was like, well, something against Renteria, but hey, no offense, if Joe Madden's available, we're going to get him. The Yankees don't know who they want. They, they really don't. Like I've talked to people around the situation, they said the, 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 the decision was keep Joe or fire Joe, and once they fired him or sorry, let him go, I guess just they didn't renew him with his contract expiring. Then it was like, okay, now we'll begin the managerial search. So this wasn't one of those where you fire someone or get rid of somebody to get somebody else. They honestly don't know, and I think that could be a complete wild card. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a name. Like, you know, 
Davey Martinez is a guy who's been said for a while, the Cubs bench coach who now got the job at the Nationals. My buddy Alex Cora, who worked with baseball tonight four years, is now the manager of the Red Sox getting introduced today. Like, Alex's name was around there for a while. The, the, the Yankees manager, I have a feel like it's not going to be somebody we've heard, uh, unless you're, like, you're an avid Yankees fan and it's like you know somebody who's been their double-A their coach or something like that. Last one for you before we get you out of here. Uh, you are a movie buff. You would get along with Dino Babers, by the way. He loves movies as well. Uh, my co-host, oh, nice. my co-host here, Seth, uh, not so much. It is embarrassing, Adnan. Some of the movies that he has not seen. It's true. Uh, so my question <laughs> to you is: uh, top five. Let's do top five sports movies for you, in your opinion. And then I'm going to give Seth some homework. He needs to watch these at some point. Yeah, I, I, now that you said that, Steve, I kind of want to like test that and go with somebody you've never heard of. <laughs> no, and then I, yeah. But it's okay. I'll, I'll give you like my honest answers and go from there. You could so, say like Caddyshack, people, and he's going to not have seen it. I guarantee you. Right. Well, I was going to say, I, I want to go with a couple that are not thought of as sports films, but I just want to mention them because they're like non-traditional sports films. But Million Dollar Baby, which, of course, has a story of boxing in right. there, even though it's not about boxing, and Raging Bull, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Again, that's the story of Jake LaMotta, but it's more about you know, the inner demons he's fighting and psychological stuff. And it's not, you know, the conventional sports film. But if you went to, you know, a video store, if we still have those around, God forbid. Or if you went to Netflix under sports films, you know, the ones that I love, of course, are Major League. I'm going to hopefully Seth has seen Major I League, have. which is really funny. Okay, good. Major League, obviously very funny. Great camaraderie. Tom Berger's character based on Gary Carter. Uh, players still quoted all the time. It's awesome. Um, I love Bull Durham, although I wouldn't put it in my top five, which I know is a little bit surprising because all the former players I work with, they love Bull Durham, but I'm actually not as crazy about it. I love Eight Men Out. Have you heard of that one? It's about the Black Sox. I've heard. I've read the book. I've read the book. I did not see the movie. Well, that's even better. Good for you. What a literate person Seth is. I like that. The book is good. So the book is very good. The movie I love, of course, John Sales wrote and directed it. A young John Cusack playing Buck Weaver, David Strathairn, Charlie Sheen, John Mahoney from Frasier. Terrific cast, a wonderful story, baseball innocence lost, all that kind of stuff. Um, the Natural is one that I actually think is overrated. Me and Tim Kirchner always talk about how a lot of baseball fans mention The Natural. We think it's overrated. I'm going to get a hockey movie in being Canadian, so I'll throw in Slapshot. I'm going to assume Seth has never seen Slapshot, but Steve has. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so that makes sense. Paul Newman, of course, lots of fighting. The Hanson brothers got to put the foil on. Uh, Field of Dreams. Seth, you've seen Field of Dreams? Yes, yes. Okay, good. All right, so it's pretty good here, right? So Field of Dreams. Of course, father and son story, a little bit sentimental, a little bit sweet, but I really love it a lot. And then I'll just to be a jerk, I'll throw in one that neither of you have probably seen, which is called Downhill Racer. That's with Robert Redford. It's a skiing movie. Because you never hear anybody ever mention a good skiing movie. It's actually terrific. And the skiing scenes are excellent. Great point of view shots. Redford, obviously, great actor. So the five that I'm giving you, and I just had to purposely stump Seth there, Steve, Downhill Racers, the Redford movie, the skiing movie, with the actual other choices would be Major League, um, and the other ones that I said, Bull Durham. What else did I said? Right, hey man, out, Dog, slap baby. shot, feel the dreams. Hey man, out. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Baseball heavy. I like it. Great stuff. Yeah, be, yeah but sorry. Last point. Baseball and boxing are always the best movies. It does not necessarily mean that they are the best sports. I feel bad. I should have said a boxing. I, you know, I'll throw in Hoosiers. So get oh, thank you. That, Hoosiers I love Hoosiers. One. That's probably another one that you've never seen before, right? No, I have seen Hoosiers. Okay, good. All right. Well, sports got, is like the what? one genre that I've seen a couple movies. You know, Tin Cup, I'm not crazy about. I mean, I'm not a huge golf fan, so maybe that's why I'm not a big Tin Cup fan. But how about I give you Hoop Dreams? I'll have a little homework for you. Great basketball documentary called Hoop Dreams. The next time I come on the show, Steve, you make sure Seth has seen Hoop Dreams, 
and we'll talk all about it. You got it. I, I have seen Hoop Dreams, and it is uh, it's long, but it's uh, it's very interesting. It's good. It's good. good yeah. Movie. No, you're, it, it, you're right that it's long. It's not one that you just feel like cranking up on a you know Saturday afternoon. But if you watch it once, you'll definitely remember. That's yes, why I can describe. Absolutely. It. Listen, you've been so gracious with your time. We really do appreciate. It. Again, seven to eight o'clock next Monday night at Lemoyne College. Uh, Adnan, thanks so much. Hopefully, we can do it again soon. Steve, Seth, I appreciate it, guys. Give my best to Dino Babers. Go Cues. Absolutely. There he is, Adnan Verk. we got to take our first time out. Hour number one of Orange Nation on a Monday rolls on right after this on ESPN Radio. Tune in every Monday as Hall of Famer Floyd Little talks.